Welcome back to the Florida Travel Fanatics Podcast. I'm Clark. I'm Heather. And this is episode 19, A Local's Guide to Having Fun in St. Petersburg. In this episode's Florida travel news, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a seaweed blob. Actually, according to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, it's actually a common brown seaweed called sargassum. It floats in large masses. This one's said to be 5,000 mi- square miles or 8,047 kilometers. It comes from an area in the Atlantic Ocean called the Sargasso Sea, which I actually never knew about. It's surrounded by four different currents, but no land masses. So it can, it can move seaweed and different organisms around without bumping into other land masses until it gets to Florida or Africa or those things. A large amount of sargassum has been found in the Caribbean most years since 2011. The University of Florida's Optical Oceanography Lab began monitoring sargassum each year, and they say this year the 2023 bloom isn't as large as originally expected, and it will be a major year for the algae in the lab, as it's expected to continue to increase in the Caribbean Sea and the Gulf of Mexico. It's going to probably travel west from the Caribbean Sea and become a hazard on some beaches in Florida and the Caribbean islands like Jamaica, Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico. Even some parts of South America and Mexico are going to be affected. Images from this year's Miami Beach show the brownish seaweed already creating a barrier between sandy beaches and shorelines. It will basically really show up in its biggest amount in in June, May, June, July in the summer. When the blob of seaweed reaches shore, Another gas comes into play, which is a hydrogen sulfide. According to Florida Health, this is what happens when the seaweed rots, and it kind of smells like rotten eggs. The department says that beachgoers don't need to avoid swimming near the seaweed. While touching the seaweed isn't harmful, animals like jellyfish can live in it, and that can actually hurt the swimmers. Um, There are sargassum Facebook groups with members posting about what they recently saw on the beaches that, you know, that they went to visit. I wouldn't necessarily say you have to change your plans for this. It can change within a day. So definitely keep yourself, you know, keep posted. It's kind of an inconvenience and it could be a little stinky. So if you have flexibility in your schedule, you know, definitely check it out before you go to a particular beach. Yeah, we look, there's not really like a web page. Like there's with hurricanes where like what's what's going on with the red tide there is, but not this. Yeah. It's basically just a lot of seaweed. This is not one to change. Heather said not one to change your travel plans over, but just something to monitor. This um this seaweed is actually it has these little bubbles in it. And what happens is the bubbles make it float as opposed to it being anchored to the bottom of the ocean. It floats around. The Sargassus Sea is where the majority of it has come from, and that's why it has that name. But it's just a big, messy, brown clump of... Big mass of seaweed. Big mass of seaweed, yeah. Yeah. Seaweed's pretty common on the beaches in Florida anyway. We've been down in Miami in the past when there's been quite a bit of it. Sometimes it's a bit annoying, but it's hardly anything that would make us feel like, oh, we can't go to the beach today. I mean... If there's a lot of it, it can it can hurt fish and and other sea creatures and things like that. But it's actually not a solid blob. What's the stuff you throw against the wall? You know, slime. It's not right. like a blob of slime. It's just a big old hulk of seaweed. It's actually pieces that because of the currents and the wind, they actually are starting to clump together. It's not that they're all attached. If the sh- if the current shifts a little, it's going to shift as well. As we observed last year at this time, and we 
predicted for this year, spring break in Miami Beach has hit a rough patch. There have been several shootings, two of which are fatal in Miami Beach over the last weeks, and it's caused the City Council of Miami Beach on that weekend of the shootings to declare a state of emergency to help clamp down on a rowdy element that has come to party and let off some steam. The Miami Beach mayor is quoted saying, we don't want spring break here. We've never asked for it. It's too rowdy. It's too much disorder and it's too difficult to police. The manpower to police the street almost outweighs the benefits to the city. There was a five to four vote to not impose a curfew in the following weeks, but there is going to be a 6 p.m. I guess it's not a curfew, a ban um, restriction for alcohol sales from any convenience stores or retailers that sell alcohol. Uh, Miami Beach is an open container um, city, which means you can walk around with a beer or a glass of wine or a margarita, anything. And if there are other places to get it other than hotels and restaurants, you can't get it after 6 p.m. So a heavy police presence has calmed things down, and hopefully it is going to end up being a pretty decent time after this. Tampa International Airport and Orlando airports have had record numbers of passengers recently. These are all-time records for these airports, and it's not just spring break. That includes the holidays as well. Tampa had 90,000 travelers on March 19th, and Orlando had over 95,000 passengers on March 11th. Spring break is in full swing right now and apparently bigger than ever. Some of the travel restrictions in Mexico may be partial cause for the Florida increases since the U.S. Department, State Department has reinstated level four travel advisory to Mexico. That's almost 100,000 people through an airport in one day. That's a lot. That is a, a lot, lot of people. people. Lot that of is flights. a lot of people. Yeah, that's amazing. That That's an all-time record for the airports ever. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes, goes to show how popular spring break is. I bet some of that, too, is still some post-pandemic things where people are just, are just so anxious to travel. Uh, well, it's, it's still cold. I mean, they're here. still getting snow up north. Work, so yeah, Great ton of beer. And the weather right now is perfect. Dry, right. 75, degrees, no rain. Big fluffy clouds with no rain. Absolutely. Definitely a great time to be here. Yeah. In this episode's Florida Travel Tips, speaking of the Tampa Airport, they have done a partnership with Uber Eats, the Uber Eats app, to let you order food at the Tampa Airport. So what that really means is if you're flying into the Tampa Airport, you can use the Uber Eats app to to order food. It'll be waiting for you when you get to that restaurant, you pick it up and go. It makes everything a grab and go. If you're coming to the airport and you want to pick up food to take with you on a flight, you can order 20 minutes before you get there. They have all the restaurants in all the concourses that they're in, or the uh, what do they call the term? The um, terminal. air sides. The air, air sides. sides. <laughs> the, term, the terminal at Tampa Airport is one big terminal in the air sides. Uh, you do have to pay attention to what airside you're going through. Um, you, If you want to make sure that, hey, if you're on Southwest, you're going through airside C, you only want to order through airside C. You can't cross airsides if you're not flying um, in or, or out of there. Uh, our recommendation for sure is if you want to get a really good Cuban sandwich, the Columbia's restaurant in airside E is has phenomenal Cubans, and Cigar City Brewing is in airside C, which is the Southwest Terminal. I've had both of them. They're both good. I think the Cigar City people get theirs from Columbia's. I'm fairly sure they're very similar. <laughs> and as we've said before, a proper t uh, Cuban, a Tampa Cuban has salami on it in addition to the other good ones. They're, they're both excellent. That's a great thing to take on a flight with you, bag it and take it on a flight and have a beer with no it. No onions on it, no tuna fish, nope. no bananas. 
but a Cuban it's is a just Cuban's fine. just terrific, and the bread is, uh, is amazing. If you've got the opportunity, if you're going through Airside Sea, which is southwest for the most part, uh, and you have a time, sit down at Cigar City Brewing, have the Cuban, and try their beer. Their beer is excellent. It's one of the most popular breweries uh, in the Tampa Bay area. Um, if you're an IPA drinker, uh, you definitely want to try their High Ally IPA. Uh, it's probably the number one beer in Tampa. Practically everybody has that on we have tap. Some on our fridge we, right now. We have some right in our we fridge do. right now. It's really, really good. It's a nice, uh, high, it's a nice IPA with a little bit of a floral um, hop to it. It's really nice, a nice drink. So that's almost always what we get when we go out. At least I do. If you've ever wanted to try out an electric vehicle, you can now rent one from Hertz at the Tampa airport. They just added 42 new charging stations. The rentals are about $100 a day, and that includes the standard range Tesla that goes 250 miles on a charge, a newer, longer range Tesla with more batteries that's good for 358 miles on a single charge, and they also have a new Tesla Y. Uh, the letter Y model that goes about 250 as well. It's a little bit cheaper. They also offer a brand, Hertz offers an electric car called Polestar, which I had never heard of before that uh, we're just not familiar with. If any of you know about that, let us know what you think of it. There's also uh, Kia Nero. The Kia Nero is a smaller uh, all-electric vehicle, which also has a 250-mile range. And again, the prices range from about $90 total price to about $120. And right now, that's exclusively through Hertz. So if you... Um, want to try an electric car, it's a great way to do it. If you're only going to be here a day or two and you're not mileage, you're not mileage restricted and they're still like everywhere in America, there's plenty of places to charge an electric vehicle. If you want to try one out, I got to do a test drive on a Tesla a few years ago. It's pretty amazing to drive an all electric car. One of our daughters has a hybrid Nero, a Kia Nero, and she really likes it. Yeah, It's a good car. It's a great, great yeah, mileage. Yeah. And we have a Kia too. We like our Kia. It's good, good cars, but if there's a great chance to try one out rent from Hertz, pick it up right at, the, at the airport. It's a great way to, to enjoy that. And while we're on the topic of rental cars, we'll remind you again, we've talked about this, uh, we've talked about it a couple times before. When renting a car from any rental car company, make sure you sign up for their free membership clubs. It doesn't cost you anything. It almost always lets you skip the counter and usually the long lines that can be there, uh, especially on a busy holiday period. And you go directly to pick up your car. Basically, when you sign up for the membership clubs, all you're really doing is you're just giving them the information you would give them if you're at the counter, you know, your name, your address, your driver's license, your credit card, all that stuff. It just gets preloaded in your profile. Uh, and it's just so much faster to go through and, and skip that line. And when almost every time I go through the rental car area at a major airport, I see people in the line and the rest, the business travelers, or the frequent travelers, or the ones that already have the clubs, they go right out to the, uh, to the garage and pick a car. The really cool part is for the most case, I've done this with both national and Hertz. You just get to pick a car. Hey, today I want a, pickup truck. Uh, today, I want to, you know, I want to try the CRV or I want to try the RAV4, you know, depending on what's it be. Or you want to try, you know, Chevy Malibu. There, you pick one. I was able to pick a nicer level Malibu recently that had a lot sp more sport to it for no additional charge. Generally, if you order the medium sized car, you can pretty much pick anything you want that's in a reasonable price range. But definitely do that. Uh, that's one of those things in an airport that just speeds you up. Like you're flying into Tampa, order your meal on Uber Eats, pick up your bag, Go to the rental car area, go right past the counters, go right to your car, and you're in your car and you're on the road. So it definitely saves time either on a business trip or on a personal trip. Let's get started on our main topic of how to enjoy St. Petersburg. As always, we'll put links to all the places we talk about in the episode notes. Let's get started by clarifying terminology and geography. The Tampa Bay region is a large landmass around the body of water called Tampa Bay. A lot of people confuse Tampa Bay as a term with the name of the city of Tampa. The Tampa Bay region is actually the city of Tampa and the city of St. Pete, along with smaller areas and towns, especially the beach towns like Clearwater Beach. 
We're going to give you our advice and our best travel tips for the city of St. Petersburg, but also the area to the west of St. Petersburg, all of which is called the Pinellas Peninsula. It's part of Pinellas County. So we're really talking about the entire area just south of Clearwater on the peninsula of Pinellas. The two most interesting parts of St. Pete is the downtown area and the beaches, and we'll get into details on both. Downtown St. Petersburg is a really popular spot. It's quite different than uh, downtown Tampa, and it's got an eclectic, funky edge to it with lots of trendy restaurants and fun bars. It's really a walking city and um, bike riding, lots of great outdoor space. One of our favorites is to go to downtown St. Pete's first Friday, which is the first Friday of every month. The city shuts down Central Avenue between 2nd and 3rd Streets, and it creates a massive block party with live music, food trucks. Um, and again, St. Pete's also a open container, so within the confines of this festival, you can walk with a Scar City Brewing drink. One of the major attractions in St. Pete is the Dolly Museum. This is one of the two major museums in the world that holds the works of the famous Salvador Dali, the Spanish surrealist artist. Of course, the other one's in Spain because he's Spanish. The art here is just incredible given his avant-garde style and his edginess. It's definitely a must-do when you're visiting St. Pete. It's just a, uh, The art's just phenomenal. Tickets are only $29 for adults with lower prices for seniors and children. As usual, definitely get the tickets in advance since it does sometimes reach capacity, especially on a weekend. You don't want to get down there and not, not be able to get in because you didn't buy a ticket in advance. And being all indoors, it's a great activity for a hot rainy day in the summer. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, they have special exhibits. So if you want to get into a, a specific exhibit, you will want to definitely get yours ahead yeah, of time. They have per- like a lot of museums, they have a permanent exhibit and they have rotating things. The mm-hmm. artwork is just fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, what he did. Just an amazing uh, person. If you'd like to spend some time outside, the St. Pete Pier, which was completed just in 2020, it's a new, very large pier, and it's a huge attraction on the downtown waterfront. The pier, of course, is built over the water. There's a family park, including splash pads for the kids, a beach, a marina, a huge, expansive lawn, restaurants, a fishing deck, shopping, Marine Discovery Center, gosh, roller skating events. They have, You can do yoga down there. I think there's pretty much... Anything you yeah, want to do? And the skating you can- is this quad skates to the old school, just, you know, skates in the 70s we used to always do as kids. I love it. Yeah, it's neat. Parking can be hard to get um, down there um, because it is so popular, but their website has a page that lists all the nearby options, and we'll link that in the episode notes. You know, we've driven through there with, with friends from out of town, and the, there's 500 parking spaces right there, but they're almost always full. So mm-hmm. that landing page of where those other places are is something you should definitely put in your phone or have a printout or something so you know where to park when you go down there. Because on the weekends, those, part, those spots are all full. One of the big landmarks in downtown St. Pete is Tropicana Field, where the Tampa Bay Rays play baseball. Locals, locals refer to it as the Trop. Nobody calls it Tropicana Field. It's the Trop. It's the big white stadium you can see from 275. Basically, when you're inside, it looks like being inside their yurt. Yes. It's, it's, a, cool. it's basically it's a, a tent. Yurt. It's a big white yeah, tent, it basically. Like a yurt. Yeah, it's not a solid top. It's interesting. One of the, our favorite things to do when we go down there is to go ahead, go down early, park in the stadium parking lot, walk across the street to an excellent little small Cuban restaurant named Bodega. It's one of those walk-up places. Yeah, they don't have any seating. Yeah, some little bit seating in the back, but they're basically to walk up. They have fantastic Cuban coffee, by the way, too. Uh, just get carry out and then walk across the street to Green Bench Brewing. Green Bench is a great little local brewery that we really like. And like a lot of breweries, they don't sell food, so they don't mind you bringing your own food in. You know, and you have their beer and they have good ciders there um, as well. And speaking of good breweries, there's two others in downtown St. Pete that we'd recommend. One is called Three Daughters Brewing, which we like because we have 
three daughters. Uh, and the other one is one called Cage Brewing. Uh, if you're going to go to a Rays game, and the Rays have been pretty good the last few years. They made it to the World Series final a couple years ago. Take a look at StubHub.com or resale tickets on Ticketmaster.com. Typically, a lot of the people that have season tickets uh, resale on there. And you'll probably pay about the same price you did if you walk up to the ticket office, but you'll get a lot better seat because the season ticket holders uh, typically have better better seats. And weeknights are definitely, you're going to get a better seat than you would on the weekend. And the nicest thing about um, the Tropicana Field is it's inside and it's air conditioned. So it's a great activity on hot, rainy summer days and they have a large water tank with stingrays in it. So the kids love to see that. Yeah, you can touch them. Yeah, that's a fun thing. Another great venue is for concerts is Janus Live, J-A-N-N-U-S. It's an outdoor concert venue right right in downtown St. Pete and they feature national and sometimes globally known bands. Uh, I've seen uh, we've seen several good bands there. Uh, one uh, first Friday, we saw a local Kenny Chesney tribute band there called Pirate Flag. Uh, they were actually quite excellent. That was back before the pandemic. Yeah, and it's between um, three buildings. Mm-hmm. So what it has done is it's created its own courtyard with yeah, a stage in the front. It's so, basically a courtyard with iron gates on there. It's one really one fun. of our nephews who just moved here went to his first concert there. He's like, yeah, it's just a courtyard. Uh, but it's an, it's right downtown, and you can walk around downtown. You can hear the bands playing. The people that live right near there must really like music because it's going on three nights a week uh, right outside their, their apartment windows. Another great venue is the Mahaffey Theater. It's on the waterfront. It's a concert venue in the home of the Florida Symphony Orchestra. It's a beautiful venue. It's right next to the Dolly Museum. I'm a big fan of the, of the progressive hard rock band Dream Theater, and I've seen them play twice there at the Mahaffey. They do a lot of cool concerts like uh, classical music, country concerts, comedians, and have a pretty regular rotation of tribute bands. They've got a Queen tribute band, Beatles, and Led Zeppelin bands uh, coming up here in the near, near future. And uh, the Doobie Brothers are going to be there in May. I hope to, go out, hope to go out to that show. If you're going to a concert in the evening at the Mahaffey, we definitely recommend going to the Dolly Museum during the day because the two buildings are literally right next to each other. And if you're looking for a good local restaurant to walk to, four blocks away is a very good Mexican restaurant called Red Mesa Cantina, which I go to regularly for business meetings. It's a fantastic Mexican food. Vinoy Park and Straub Park are both on the waterfront and are a very popular place for all kinds of festivals throughout the year, including multiple seafood festivals, several music festivals, including um, the upcoming Tampa Bay Blues Festival. Yeah, we went down there for first for New Year's one year. Mm-hmm. And we've also night? went to the Seafood Festival, yeah, which seafood was festival. great. Mm-hmm. We had alligator for the first time, that was yummy. which yeah. was great. One of the biggest events this year, or every year, is the St. Pete Grand Prix. We talked about this on our previous podcast, but the race is the beginning of the IndyCar Racing League season every year, and it's a lot of fun. They set up a track in the downtown area, and they race through the downtown and onto a local airport runway. It's usually held in early March. Tickets start at about $25, but it's it's amazing because they do close the streets off and it's right in downtown St. And it's just, so cool. they're just like, it's, it's almost like watching a video game. Cause it's like, boom, yeah. the, you can stand right next to the tracks and cars are going by at like 180 miles an hour. It's pretty amazing. You don't blink cause you can't see yeah, them. If they're you going blink. really fast. And it's, right. it's a, uh, if you've ever, never been to a grand prix race, I highly recommend it. Years ago when we lived in Maryland, they had some in Baltimore for two or three years. It's just terrific. You know, you go to the race and you walk out, out of the track and go to a local restaurant or bar and, you know, get something to eat or drink. It's so neat that it's it's not often in the country somewhere. It's actually right in downtown St. Pete and right on the waterfront. And you're not confined to one particular seat. Even if you if even if you choose to get a seat in the grandstands, you're not confined there. You can walk around and find different spots. You know, different turns and that are interesting. 
Just outside downtown St. Pete is the popular attraction called the Sunken Gardens. It's actually the oldest living museum in St. Pete, and it was established over 100 years ago. It's a lush four-acre botanical gardens, and it's home to some of the oldest tropical plants in the regions. Pathways wander through the gardens where you can view over a, a thousand different plants, cascading waterfalls, and flocks of live flamingos. It's open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and it's actually only $15. Children's tickets are only 6 We've actually been invited to a Sunday morning wedding later uh, later this year, so that'll be really yeah, that'll be fun nice. in the gardens. Yeah, it's a really beautiful place. It, uh, some people have said told us it was a, an old sinkhole, but apparently it was a plumber in like 1911. Who it was an old lake. He drained it and just liked to garden, so he built this thing up and it's been there ever since. They say it's one of those old Florida roadside. You're driving along your jalopy in the 1950s, and you know some highway, and you go right by it. It was like a spot that it's a landmark. It's been there for. Over 100 years. I have a hard time visualizing him draining it. I'm like, it's like, did you you, drain a lake? Did you just find the plug? You know? Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to go just to see the flamingos, just to see them. So, a flamboyance of flamingos. Flamboyance of flamingos. (laughs) Is that what they're called? Flamboyance? It's not a flock, it's a flamboyance. A group of flamingos. Thank you, Heather, for that (laughs) bit of trivia. We're on Jeopardy anytime soon. We'll, We'll get that question right. Animal flocks for 400. The second major interest in the area is the beaches, like a lot of Florida, and it's over on the west side of, of the Pinellas Peninsula on the Gulf, of course. Uh, the beach line is, people I think thinks there's Clearwater Beach and the other beaches are separate and south of there, but it's just one continuous beach line from really Clearwater all the way through Sand Key. And then when you get down below there, uh, there's several distinct beach towns. They're all fairly small with maybe two or 3,000 residents, and they each have their own character. So driving below Clearwater and you go from north down to the south, you go through Bel Air Beach, Indian Rocks Beach, Indian Shores, Reddington Shores, North Reddington Beach, Reddington Beach, Madeira Beach, Treasure Island, and then St. Pete Beach. Uh, That's actually the official name. In 1994, the town used to be called St. Petersburg Beach, and this local said, hey, we just want a little bit more distinction. So they just decided to call the town St. Pete Beach. So for those of you who have not been to Florida, uh, and this happens a lot across the, both both the east and west coasts of the country. You know, there's my, the city of Miami, and then there's the city of Miami Beach. Two different mayors, two different governments, they're different cities. Clearwater City and Clearwater Beach are two different places. A lot of people don't know that. You drive through Clearwater to get through Clearwater Beach. They're completely different towns. So St. Peter, St. Petersburg is a city. St. Peach, St. Pete Beach, that's official name, is also its own city. So they, they interesting, they, they, short, they chose the shortened name in 94 just to draw a distinction over versus St. Petersburg. And I think Beach. for the most part, people don't even say St. Petersburg. They usually just say St. Pete yeah. or St. Pete Beach. Right, right. So and if you say St. Pete Beach, locals know it's on the west side. It's on the it's on the Gulf where the beaches are. Um, those towns are all quite different from each other. Um, if you're looking for a place to get an Airbnb or a Verbo for a rental, there's a bunch over there. I looked at one. I saw a condo earlier. I did a little research. And you can get a, con- a condo with four-bedroom, three-bath for two eighty nine dollars a night. So you figure you could put quite a few people in that condo. That's actually a pretty fair price, and you're right on the beach. And the beaches are the it's the same spectacular white beach that Clearwater, Sanibel, and the others are known for. So if you're looking for a vacation, that can be a great spot. And some of the areas are fairly quiet. Uh, toward the north, uh, Bel Air Beach and the others, you don't. it's not a big beach town. It's more just homes and a few restaurants on the main drive. And at some point, there aren't any more. There are some high rises, and I say high rises because there may be 10 stories. Right. But into some of the more residential beaches, some of the uh, accommodations are two-story or 
uh, little boutique motels mm-hmm. as well as hotels. And we always say the motels can be a good choice. I think some people who travel, I think uh, motels are kind of, uh, they're old, but if they're well-maintained, uh, some of the beachfront motels can really be nice spots uh, to stay in. In St. Pete Beach, there's a big landmark. There's a gigantic pink beachfront hotel called the Don Cesar. Developed by Thomas Rowe and opened in 1928, it gained fame as the golf playground for America's pampered rich at the height of the Jazz Age. I wish we could go back and see that in time. The hotel was, hotel was designed by Henry DuPont. The Don Cesar is a member of the Historic Hotels of America, the official program for the National Trust for Historic Preservation. It was actually one of the founding members of that trust in 1989. It is a beautiful hotel, been there for business, luxurious and expensive. If you got the budget, definitely consider staying there. Rooms start about four fifty per night and go up pretty quickly for other rooms and for weekend rates. And when we say it's pink, it is pink. It's like pink. flamingo pink. They called he called it as pink castle. It's a big building, but it's a it's a really beautiful place. Great pool area. The military used it for a hospital during the Second World War, and they started to tear it down in the fifties. And the locals are thank goodness they saved it uh, and they restored it. It was bought, and now it's a fantastically nice uh, hotel complex. Highly recommend it. At the southern tip of St. Pete Beach is one of our favorite areas called Paso Grill. It's a historic old beach town, and it's usually pretty quiet since it's away from the main roads. Again, a very, very walkable, quaint town. For those of you who are new to our podcast, I'm, per- I'm a professional chef, and I learned to cook Chesapeake Bay crabs in downtown restaurant Mecca of Annapolis, Maryland. I'm kind of, I'm like pretty good at- She's an expert. At, She's big. At crab cakes. Gracious. Um, crab dip, steamed crabs. And uh, we're always on the lookout for a good crab cake. Um, Florida is not known for its Maryland-style crab cakes. If it says it's Maryland-style, you don't want it. We never, we never, because it's going to have fillers in it. Unless you're going to the Brass Monkey, which is in Paso Grill. And it's run by someone who used to have a restaurant in Baltimore. So it is a local, fantastic place for those Marylanders who are really craving something um, that they would have up north a little bit. It um, It's also the local Ravens and Orioles restaurant and bar. So the Baltimore Ravens and the Baltimore Orioles football and baseball. It's on the second floor across the street from the beach and you can have a great view. You can sit outside with your food or drink. Great spot. They do have an, they do have an elevator. Mm-hmm. So to get to the second floor. So if you have a little trouble with that, you can still um, see this great spot. It's one of our favorite restaurants in probably all of Tampa Bay for just a fun campy kind of Good food. We first heard about it when we moved here, and we heard, we heard about this place called Pass a Grill. Like, Pass a football? Pass, what's Pass a Grill? But that's the name of the town. Pass a Grill, like outdoor grill. Just the name of the town. It's a really fun little area. Definitely an off the beaten path sort of thing. It's just a fun, funky little place. There's some really, really cool little shops there. Uh, and there's also a dog friendly beach there, too. Mm-hmm. We went over there one day with our one of our daughter's dogs. Further south is Fort DeSoto Park, one of the most popular parks in the area. It's over a 1,000 acres. It's the largest park within the Pinellas County Park System, made up of five interconnected islands. Uh, It's an incredibly beautiful area with a great diversity of plants, birds, sea life, and the white sand is just spectacular, exactly what you expect from the Gulf Coast. And uh, This surprised us. We were doing research for the podcast. The annual attendance is more than 2.7 million people. I... I it's a big park. I thank goodness. Um, but that just seems huge, like a lot. 2.7 million people. That's like everybody in the Tampa Bay area goes there once a year, which is probably, probably pretty, pretty, pretty true. That's where it yeah. comes from. Bird experts have documented there have been 328 different species of birds uh, over the last 60 years with new species being seen every year. 
The beach provides refuge for loggerhead sea turtles, which nest from April to September. It's only $5 to get in. There is a large and popular boat ramp there, which sees a lot of boat and jet ski launches uh, year-round. There's a large and very popular campground here, which is one of the hardest camping reservations in Florida to get. Definitely book early if you want to camp at Fort DeSoto. It's a really nice campground. We've driven through there. Just off the coast is an island called Egmont Key. It's a Florida state park and primarily a wildlife refuge with a lot of history. There's a lighthouse that's been there since 1858, and there's an old fort there called Fort Dade, which goes back to the Spanish-American War. The island is very unspoiled. You can take a day trip by boat from Fort DeSoto, enjoy swimming, fishing, wildlife viewing, snorkeling, and picnicking. There is a six-mile hiking trail as well. The daily boat trip is $45 for 12 and older and $25 for 3 to 11. It departs daily at 11 a.m. It's actually a five-hour trip, one way each way by boat, and then you get three hours on the island. There's actually a pretty good snorkeling there, too. It's not allowed all the time. Sometimes there's jellyfish and maybe the water's not right, but certain times of the year, it's a fun place to go snorkeling. Yeah, and also, just as we've mentioned in some of the Florida Springs, Double check to see what kind of containers you can take to picnic on Egmont Key because it might be like non-disposables and things like that. Yeah, it's always better to take those anyway. Yeah, and as usual, we'll put the link in the episode notes for information on that specifically. You can take your own private boat or jet ski over there if you like as well. But those of us that don't have that, you can just take the ferry from Hubbard's, Hubbard's Ferry from, uh, from Fort DeSoto. There are several places to go kayaking and stand up paddleboarding around the peninsula. We'll put a link to Viator.com, which has all the information on those tours, and you'll be able to rent and see what the rates are like and see what works for you. We'll also include a link to PaddleFlorida.net for West Central Florida. We talked about that in a website in our episode two about how to enjoy kayaking and stand up paddleboarding. It's got several places listed there you can check out, most of which have rentals available. Lastly, if you only had one day to spend in the St. Pete area, what we'd recommend is going downtown during the day and then head west to catch a world-famous Gulf of Mexico sunset on the beach of your choice, preferably with some uh, grouper nuggets and your drink of choice. That sounds like a plan. We hope this episode's given you some good ideas about how to enjoy the St. Pete area. At St. Pete, we we can't say this often enough, it's a different area than Tampa. It's two cities. Like in the U.S., we've got Dallas, Fort Worth, and we've got Minneapolis, St. Paul with those cities. Um, Albuquerque and Santa Fe are, are close, but completely different towns. So if you're in Tampa, don't don't forget about St. St. Pete. You can fly either into the Tampa airport, take an Uber over 275 over, or depending on your airlines, you can fly into the Clearwater airport on some of the second tier uh, airports. That's a small airport, but it drops you right in there from certain cities. That's an, an easy trip, but either airport would work uh, to come into St. Pete. Details will be in the episode description, as always. Check us out on our YouTube channel, Florida Travel Fanatics, on our website at floridatravelfanatics.com. Feel free to contact us via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email at contact at floridatravelfanatics.com. You can also join our private Facebook group. Please do us a favor and leave us a, leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And apparently several of you have done that. So to whoever's putting those, Thank you. those up there, we appreciate that. So those, uh, most people don't notice that sort of thing. I'll put links to all our social media in the episode notes. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about how to enjoy golf in Florida, even if you're not a golfer. So if you're not a golfer, you're definitely not a golfer because golf is for the challenging game that a lot you know of people if you're don't a golfer. Get. You know if you're a golfer. Not. Heather and I are, are both golfers. We've got some secrets in here, some new information and some things you don't know about that well, the non-golfers will definitely want to hear. So we're not going to tell you what it is because we want you to listen. We don't want the people that are not golfers to go, I'm not listening to that one. That one's about golf. I hate golf. 
but definitely there's some cool things. It's something that just happened recently that's going to be secret non-golfing. Secret, not, yeah. Uh, tips, hacks, stuff. tricks. Yeah. Uh, so definitely look forward to talking about that. And this will be our 20th episode. And we're going to share with you some news and interesting things that are going on in the podcast industry and things with podcast apps. Uh, hopefully improve uh, your podcast experience. So thank you for listening very much. Sunny days ahead. <laughs>